Rindu Jai, Namacharya Shila Haridas Takur Ki Jai, Praying Shukaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shiroi Tukadadhar Shivasati Gaur Bhakta Rindu Ki Jai, Shri Shirada Krishna Govopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai, Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navadvip Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Ganga Maya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakta Rinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande, All Glorious to the Assembled Devotees, All Glorious to the Assembled Devotees, All Glorious to the Assembled Devotees, All Glorious to Sri Guru and Garanga, All Glorious to Sri Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasaya Bhutale. Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Miti Namane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharane Nivasesa Sanivani Paskatyade Satarane Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Padakamalam Sri Guru and Vaishnavam Shah Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahajana Raghunatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahajana Lalita Sri Vishakam Vitam Shah Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Suagatam Auspicious welcome Vaha for you, Mahabhagaha. O fortunate ladies, Asyatam, please come sit. Karavama, I can do. Kim, what? Yet, because, Naha, us, Didrikshaya, with the desire of seeing. Praptaha, you have come. Upapanam, fitting. Idam, this. He, certainly. Vaha, on your part. Now this is very similar to a verse that Krishna says to the gopis when they come for the Rasliva. There's actually two verses, at least two, in this chapter that are very similar. Uh, one almost identical. This, I think, has the first line or two the same. BBT translation. Lord Krishna said, Welcome, O most fortunate ladies. Please sit down and make yourselves comfortable. 
What can I do for you? That you have come here to see me is most appropriate. Can anyone tell me what's odd about this? What, what's odd? He's asking, what can I do for you? Yeah, why is that strange? To ask, what can I do for you? He knows. He already knows. And what else? He's asking for food. He asked him to come. Yeah, for food. He asked him to come and bring him food. You know, like if I invite you to my house, and then you come and I say, so what can I do for you? (laughs) It did the same thing to the gopis, where he called them with his flute and asked them to come, and they said, welcome, welcome, what can I do for you? BBT purport. Just as Sri Krishna welcomed the gopis who came to dance with him at night, he similarly welcomed the brahmanas' wives, whose pure love for him was proved by their overcoming many hindrances to see the Lord. The word upapanam indicates that although these ladies had rejected their husband's orders, their behavior was not at all inappropriate, since their husbands had obviously tried to obstruct their loving service to Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna said, Welcome, O most fortunate ladies. Please sit down and make yourselves comfortable. That's also kind of odd, because if you bring food for someone else, you don't usually sit down. They sit down. Right? You serve them. What can I do for you? That you have come here to see me is most appropriate. So here we're going to look primarily at this upapanam, appropriate or fitting. That we all like things that fit, isn't it? Like we want our clothes to fit. We don't want the sleeves of our clothes hanging over our arms. We can't get to our hands. Or we don't want them so small, you know, that they're showing parts of our bodies that shouldn't be shown, or they're tight and uncomfortable. We want things to fit. And we also want to fit in our lives. You know, as as you all know, I'm uh, in the last stages of working on a book on Varna Dharma. And uh, we just submitted a paper to the GBC that deals a lot also with Varna Dharma. So I've been having some deep discussions with other members of the Shastric Advisory Council about Varna Dharma, and one of them, uh, particularly I talked to him uh, just the other day, uh, Gopal Hariprabhu, Radhika Raman's younger brother, and we were talking about, you know, how do you determine your Varna? How is it determined? Is it nature or nurture? You know, we concluded that we were never going to fully solve the nature-nurture question. You know, are you just... Are you conceived with a certain varna and that's it? Or are you born with a certain varna and that's it? Or is it a question of how you're educated, who you're associated with? And obviously it's some combination of the two. But whatever it is, we have a place where we feel that we fit. And we have places we feel that we don't fit. Isn't it? There's certain things we do, we're like, yes, this is me. And other things we're doing is like, oh, when can I get out of this situation? I don't like this. Hmm. You know, and usually as we as we grow in this life, we start to learn. You know, how do we best fit? Do we like having someone else tell us what to do? Do we like telling others what to do? Do we like to be part of a team? Do we like to work with ideas? 
Do we like to work with leadership? Do we like to work with making money? Do we like to work with crafts and beautiful things? What do we like to do? What's important to us? You know, for some people, having leadership and power is more important than other things, and for other people, they don't care. For some people, having renunciation and freedom is really important. For other people, they don't care. Right? For some people, being surrounded by beauty is important. For other people, they don't care. You know, it's very interesting. Where do we fit? And this, this question of being appropriate, what's appropriate? In one sense, we could say there's different appropriate things for each individual. In, in one sense, we can say each individual has their own particular dharma. And then there's categories of dharma. There's categories of dharma according to our occupation, which is varna. There's categories of occupation primarily according to our age, which is ashrama. And there's ultimately sanatan dharma. What's appropriate for everybody, always, all the time. And I like to call this eternal, universal, transcontextual. Like Krishna says uh, in the uh, last verse of the Chatur Sloki, what applies to all people in all places and at all times. And that's where everybody fits. So we have our individual things. You know, when we were hiring this HVAC person to put in the heater, and he said, you know, I'm going to buy an electric fan. And I said, well, it's got to be heavy-duty industrial, but it still has to look good. He said, I'll make sure it looks good. And I said, well, do you have any artwork on your walls in your house? And he said, no. And I'm like, oops. <laughs> you know, then I took him in the hall and I said, I want you to look in this hall and tell me what's aesthetically off. And he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. Couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Finally, I had to say, look up. And then he's like, oh, they didn't pull the stain all the way over. I'm like, yep. But I said, you didn't see it. I said, so you better show me the pictures of the fan and have me approve them. You know, so different people fit in different places. He could make something work, but he couldn't make it beautiful. Other people make things beautiful, they can't make it work. Some people make things beautiful and they make it work. Right? But everybody loves Krishna. And everybody serves Krishna. And in the Shastra, we have statements that apply to everybody. What's appropriate for everybody? What's appropriate for everybody is that Jivara Swayapaya Krishna Nitsidasa. We're all servants of Krishna. Right? Like some people belong in the kitchen, other people we don't want them anywhere near the kitchen, isn't it? Right? One of my very, 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 very best friends, she told me, so after she got married, that, you know, she went to cook one day, she went to cook the second day, and then her husband said, you are never allowed to go back in the kitchen. Uh, he runs a restaurant, he runs a Govinda's restaurant. And she's become a very successful businesswoman. She donated half a million dollars to the TOVP, but she doesn't go anywhere near the kitchen. Right. And other people like Chaitanya, you don't want them to leave the kitchen. But everybody can be a servant of Krishna. Yes, that's what's appropriate for everyone. And these other things may change. Maybe in one life we're a musician, in another life we're a cook, in another life we're this, another life we're that. One life we're a demigod, one life we're a human, one life we're a lizard, whatever. So Jiva Goswami and Sanatana Goswami look at how Krishna was being appropriate here. He's using the plural, naha. You've come to see us. 
So why is he saying you've come to see us? Because really they had just come to see him and when they came to see him, they felt a romantic attraction for him. Which by lower dharma was completely inappropriate. So Krishna made things appropriate by saying, oh, you've come to see us. You've come to see me and Balaram and my friends. You've come to see all of us. We find the gopis do this also when they talk about seeing Krishna. They'll say, look how beautiful Krishna and Balaram are. Because they don't want to just say that they're attracted to Krishna. Of course, some gopis are just attracted to Balaram. But so Krishna here is doing something that's he's making sure that things are going to be appropriate here in terms of lower dharma, in terms of ordinary customs, that these women are married and they're married to brahmanas and, you know, oh, you come to see us and you come to see us, right? We have the drikshaya, you've just come to see us. Actually, they didn't just come to see Krishna. They wanted to run away with him. Mm-hmm. When he t- tells them later to go back home, they're like, we're not going to go back home. We're staying here with you. And Krishna's like, no, you can't do that. He says, oh, you've just come to see. Where's another place where Krishna says, oh, you've just come to see? Your vasa? When he plays the rasa, when he plays the flute in the midnight. Uh, the oh, the rasa dance, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Krishna says to the gopis, I'm sure you've come out here in the middle of the night just to see the beauty of the forest. I mean, it is really beautiful at night, isn't it? You see all the stars and the moon and the full moon night. You just came out to see how pretty it was. Now you can go home. Another time he says this to Arjuna, right? When, when Arjuna says, he goes to the middle of the armies and Krishna says, just see! And all the acharyas, they say, did Arjuna just want to see and not fight? Just come to look? So Krishna's saying, oh, why did you come here? What can I do for you? You must have come here to see us and just to see us. So Krishna's there is being very appropriate in terms of the lower dharma. Yes? But he's saying here, it's very appropriate that you've come to see me because you've overcome all obstacles. Now, often in our own Krishna conscious journey, we make so many excuses because of our obstacles. And we try to set up an obstacle-free life for Krishna consciousness. My dear friends, you will not have an obstacle-free life for Krishna consciousness. It's not going to happen. First of all, we're going to have obstacles from our own mind. Does anyone here never have an obstacle from their own mind? Never. Since the day you joined the Hare Krishna movement, your mind never was an obstacle. No? There you go. Well, for most people, for most mortals. And then our body can be an obstacle. Right? I remember when Gopi Parandana Prabhu here was in the hospital. He was on a ventilator, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. In the ICU. In the ICU on a ventilator for his asthma. 
And so he couldn't chant for days. How are you going to chant when you're sedated on a ventilator? I remember after he got well, he was making up all of his rounds. So sometimes the body is an obstacle. The body's in a coma, the body's sedated, and what are you going to do? The body just isn't working. Right? I'm sure at least most of us have sometimes been ill where you just can't do anything. You know, I, I, I've been so ill that I had a high fever and I was just like hallucinating from the fever. And I'd be, I, I remember I was chanting all day and at the end of the day it's like, I think I only got three rounds done, but I was chanting all day because I kept going in and out of consciousness with the fever. So sometimes the body's an obstacle. And then there's obstacles from the demigods, from the weather, you know, there can be storms, there can be excessive heat, there can be excessive cold, there can be excessive rain where you can't do your duty. And then there's a lot of obstacles from other living entities, right? So one can have obstacles from bugs like mosquitoes or just other people. When people say something and it disturbs our mind. I mean, even Vidura, he was disturbed when Duryodhana insulted him or Jed Bharat was disturbed when Maharaj Rahuvan insulted him. Right? So when somebody insults us, we become disturbed or someone doesn't facilitate us, or they don't show up on time, we're depending on them to do this and that service, or this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen. Uh, so there's all these obstacles. And people ask all the time, you know, what do I do if my husband's not a devotee, if my wife's not a devotee, if my kid's not a devotee, if I'm in a place with a repressive government or whatever. But these obstacles happen in, to the great devotees in Krishna's Leela also. In fact, as we've said many times, Krishna creates these obstacles even in the spiritual world for the gopis, where they apparently have obstacles. And if we're not willing to love Krishna and serve Krishna regardless of obstacles, it's not love. You know, otherwise we're what's called a fair-weather friend. You know, a fair-weather friend, we do service when it's, we help out when it's nice, and we don't when it's not nice. I remember many years ago, actually, when we were living here down the street. So I, I had a doctor's appointment, and my car broke down. And so I called one of my friends, and I said, I have an appointment in an hour. My car broke down. I said, you know, my kid's at work. I don't have any other car. Can you drive me to the doctor? And this is a friend who had always said, Romila, I'm always there for you. Whatever you need anything, whatever you want, just let me know. And she said, this is my day off from work. I don't want to go anywhere. Okay. You know, and I thought, okay, that's a fair weather friend. You're there, you know, when everything's nice and when it's not nice, you disappear. So we don't want to be like that with Krishna. You know, well, Krishna, I'll serve you if I have a perfect family and perfect health and my mind is peaceful and the sun is shining and everybody's being sweet to me and everybody's respecting me, then I'll serve you. But if there's a catastrophe, then I won't serve you anymore. I mean, sometimes the only service we can do, like when I was that sick, the only service that I could do was just to try to think of Krishna and try to chant. That was all I could do. I wasn't capable of doing anything else. I couldn't even move. Sometimes that's all we can do. But to do something, to somehow reach out, Krishna, where are you? Krishna, where are you? In whatever way that we can do that. I'm thinking about Gajendra, you know, he's being chomped on by the crocodile in the water for a thousand years. 
you know, he was in a lot of pain, he was dying, he was starving. And his, the other elephants couldn't help him. And he just like, oh, Lord. And that's love. I mean, everybody understands this, even with material love. That if you really love somebody, you're going to be there for them as much as you can, even in difficult circumstances. You're not going to walk away just when things get tough. I think this is one of the big differences between, say, marriage and boyfriend-girlfriend. Boyfriend-girlfriend, you know, well, you didn't put your socks in the laundry bin, I'm out of here. You know? And marriage is, I'm, I'm sticking with you, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health. That's, yes. We have that understanding that, that a commitment is love. That's why we make promises. You know, I'm going to chant 16 rounds every day the rest of my life. I'm going to follow these principles every day the rest of my life. I, it means something. Yeah? So Krishna sets up, Mars was talking about Krishna testing the devotees. Krishna sets up these tests so that we can in, increase in our love and demonstrate our love. It's, it's a way of demonstrating our love to Krishna. And then it's also appropriate to choose a higher principle over a lower. So the Shastra, including the Bhagavatam, including the Bhagavatam, really emphasizes fidelity in marriage and really emphasize that the wife follows the husband. It's strongly emphasized in the Bhagavatam. I mean, we have the extreme example of Sukanya and Chaivanamuni. It's a, it's a really extreme example. She didn't even want to marry him. He was a lot older than she was, and he was really, he wasn't a pleasant person. But to save her father and her father's army from death, she agreed to marry him. And later, when she had a chance to leave him for the Asvini Kumaras, which seems like a lot better deal, she didn't do it. He was handsome he was handsome at that time, but I don't know if he stopped being irritable. He did. He did? He stopped being irritable? You yeah. sure? Yeah. His so, personality behavior was connected to the age of his body. Yeah. Oh, so he was just an, an irritable old man. So when he was a young man, he wasn't irritable. Yeah, when he was young, he was actually attractive and beautiful. So his personality also shifted. Yeah. Because yeah. it said he was always angry. Not, not when he got here. Not when he went in that lake, huh? Yeah. Boy, we should find one of those lakes for all of the angry, irritable people we know and give them a dip in it. All the, all the irritable old people, right? Dip them in the in the Ashwini Kumaras Lake. But anyway, we have these examples in the Shastra. We have this instruction in the Shastra. And yet, here we have these examples of these women being disobedient. They're like, we don't care. We're going. And it's appropriate. Krishna says, yes, this is appropriate. So it's very nice in Bhagavad Gita 930, uh, where Krishna says, even if a person does something abominable, if, my, if they're my devotee, they're still saintly. So what these Brahmins' wives did by social convention was abominable. And Prabhupada writes in that purport that generally our conditioned 
activities and our constitutional activities go in parallel. So generally, the way we fit in the world, according to our present, what Prabhupada would call psychophysical nature, where I feel I belong, where I feel I'm comfortable in this world, according to my psychophysical nature, as a result of past lives, this life, whatever it's the result of. And my sanatan dharma, my universal, eternal, transcontextual dharma of serving Krishna, generally they're parallel. Why are they parallel? Because my mundane dharma also comes from the Shastra. Krishna's giving both. Krishna's giving the transcendent dharma and he's giving the temporary dharma. They're both in Shastra. So generally they parallel each other. And in an ideal society, they would almost always parallel each other. But Srila Prabhupada sometimes says sometimes they come into conflict with one another. Sometimes there's a conflict between my dharma of this world and my surrender to Krishna. Now that doesn't mean that we should use Krishna consciousness as an excuse to be in the mode of ignorance. Prabhupada says in the Bhagavad Gita that Arjuna was using his Krishna consciousness as an excuse to avoid the battle. So that doesn't mean that we should, and we've seen devotees do this all the time. Well, I have to serve Krishna, therefore I can't clean my house, I can't cook for my family, I can't take care of my children because my service to Krishna is more important. And so I have to neglect everybody and trample on everybody and be mean to everybody in order to serve Krishna. So that should also be very carefully noted. That generally our duties in this world are part of our Krishna consciousness. They parallel our Krishna consciousness. But sometimes they're in direct opposition. I have a very good friend. She's uh, older than I am. A very, very traditional uh, woman from India. When she, She's retired now, but she was a physician. And her husband uh, was very opposed, and is still, to her Krishna consciousness. And her grown children were not supportive. I mean, her husband was really opposed. And her husband, shall we say, how, how do we say this politely from the Vyasa's son, he basically forced her into doing things in opposition to Krishna consciousness, even at a very elderly age. And you can fill in the blanks as you like. She told me that she couldn't even sit down to chant Japa. She said if she just sat down, if she wasn't active, that, you know, immediately she had a problem with him. And we're talking about a person in the 70s. So it was a very severe situation. But because of her upbringing, because of her culture, she said, she said, there's no way I'm leaving my husband. She said, that's just not even a possibility. She said, you know, that just, said, there's, that's absolutely possible. I'm not going to leave. But what she did was she lied to him all the time. So... On her break, when, on her work break, like on her lunch break, she would be out selling books. And she'd go to the temple. And he said to her, you're not allowed to go to the temple. You're not allowed to sell books. She was the biggest distributor of books in a major western city of all the devotees. Even while she was working, and even while she had this husband who said, you can't do anything in Krishna consciousness. And she, she got initiated. At first, second initiation, she would do deity worship. She said to me, how can I get initiated in my circumstances? to talk to your guru. You know, and he said, just fine, don't worry about it. You know, I still keep up with her all the time. 
And eventually he sort of kind of figured out, especially once she retired, and, you know, oh, I'm going to the library, oh, I'm going to the park, oh, you know, and she's actually going to dress the deities, and she's actually going to distribute books, and she's actually going to chant her japa. You know, eventually he sort of kind of figured out, he ended up meeting with me at Govinda's, and he said, help me get my wife back. Hi, <laughs> So, sometimes these things are in opposition to one another. I mean, I disobeyed my mother to join the Hare Krishna movement, and she wasn't very, as I mentioned before, she wasn't very happy about that. So, ultimately, we have to surrender to Krishna. And if surrendering to Krishna means that I have to behave improperly from a social point of view, then so be it. Although Krishna's made those social rules, they come from Krishna. The purpose of those rules is to love Krishna. Otherwise, Shrama Egahi Kevalam, if I'm just perfect with all the material rules, but I don't love Krishna, it's all useless. You know, we have a growing contingent in our movement that's reversing this, that's trying to put the lower principles over the higher principles that's trying to put karmakanda regulations, and karmakanda regulations for a different age of the earth and a different society and a different circumstance, and that they're not even understanding properly. They're trying to put that over the universal principles of bhakti. They're reversing the situation. And no matter how much in the material world we have a situation that we feel fits us, I'm doing the kind of work I love and I have the right kind of people that I'm associating with. We're never going to feel fully comfortable if all we have is what fits materially because we're not material beings. If I'm not also fitting spiritually, I'll be a fish out of water. You know that play? The fish comes out of water. I used to be in that play. I was my baby in the play. I don't think they've cast me as that anymore now that I'm an old lady. But anyway... So we had the fish comes out of the water and you give him, you know, a nice chair and you give the fish a, a, a nice spouse and you give the fish a degree, a college degree and you give the fish a nice job and the fish is going, oh, oh, I want water. <laughs> Not to drink, to swim in, to breathe. So ultimately we're only going to find our comfortable place in Sanatan Dharma just trying to find our comfortable place in Varnashram Dharma. I'm sorry, we're not material beings. We can be in the perfect ashram and the perfect Varna and everything perfect in this world, but if we don't have Krishna, we're going to feel uncomfortable. We're going to feel there's something wrong. And that's why even very successful people materially, they get everything and they go, is that it? Is that it? So yes, we should try to set up a nice situation for our Krishna consciousness, our living situation, our ashram situation, our varna situation, our, what service we're doing for the mission. We should try to set this up according to our psychophysical nature. But if we're not falling in love with Krishna, we're not going to be happy. And if we're falling in love with Krishna, then even if our mind gives us trouble, as it does for most of us, or our body gives us trouble, or other people give us trouble, or the weather gives us trouble, or the government gives us trouble, or whatever gives us trouble, we'll still be able to love Krishna in some way. Now what I thought was really, really charming is that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur 
says that Krishna is also implying that you're dharmic, you're fitting, you're upapanam, but I'm not. I can't reciprocate with you. Which is, of course, uh, what Krishna also says to the gopis, napariham, I can't reciprocate with you. And ostensibly, Krishna really couldn't reciprocate with the wise of the Brahmins the way they wanted to be reciprocated with at that time. So Krishna's saying, you're in order, but I'm not. And this is an extraordinary view of God. This personal view of God, where he says to his devotees, you're better than I am. You're superior to me. And Krishna, he actually feels that way. Krishna actually feels that way. Krishna says, I've become auspicious because of the association of my devotees. Krishna says to the twin Arjuna trees, you're very lucky that you saw Narada. And I'm thinking, aren't they lucky that they're seeing you? But Krishna, he's in that mood that he exalts the devotees over himself. And he feels a debtor to his devotees. If we think of this from a tactful point of view, it's absurd. But this is the loving relationship. You're in order. What you're doing is fitting. And me, what can I do? And this can also be understood. What can I do for you? Oh, why have you come here? What can I do for you? I, I can never do for you. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Yes, Marsh. Okay. Uh, you is. <laughs> you're pushing to become gurus which is really not the standard it's not necessary because we're allowing you all to engage in devotional service according to your propensity and it's just like why do something that's you know stretching the dharma I wouldn't say it's against us why do something that's stretching the dharma of you know women being subservient. Why, 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 why do something when, you, when, you, when no one's stopping you from doing devotional service? Okay, so you're, you're saying people are accusing the ladies in ISKCON that no one's stopping you from doing devotional service and you can work according to your propensities, so why do you want to stretch your dharma by being guru when you're supposed to be subservient? Yes, we're all supposed to be subservient. And we're all supposed to be subservient to our spiritual master. And Srila Prabhupada said over and over and over and over and over and over and over, I want all of my disciples to be guru. Now, if somebody wants to say that, well, we don't have to follow the order of Srila Prabhupada, that would be an interesting discussion. Well, Siksha Guru is enough. That Shiksha Guru is enough. If we, if we thought Shiksha Guru was enough, Prabhupada wouldn't have given Diksha. He would have only given shiksha. And Prabhupada also says it's all, it's all, it, you're offensive and foolish if you discriminate between diksha and shiksha. So if this is, you know, if somebody wants to be offensive and foolish, that's their problem. And I don't think any, anyone in a mood of service wants to be guru. Bhakti Siddhartha said, if you, if you think you're guru, you're guru, you're a cow. We want to be a servant 
and it's Prabhupada's order. It's very natural. It's just like parents usually want to become grandparents. They want their line to continue. That's natural. And Prabhupada wants all of his disciples to continue the line. If we're really subservient, like the gopi said to Krishna in the water, we're your servants. Don't ask us to come out of the water. And Krishna says, if you're really my servants, then come out of the water. So we say to Prabhupada, Prabhupada, I don't want this responsibility. I'd rather just sit down and chant Hare Krishna. And Prabhupada says, if you're really my servants, take this responsibility. No, thank you. Feel the Prabhupada key.